Okay, let's just um, ask for the Lord's help and prepare our hearts, and then we'll open up the scriptures together. Lord Jesus, this weekend we've we've had a desire to to look at you, to consider you. Lord Jesus, you know that, that sometimes our hearts are cold. Sometimes our, our thoughts are scattered or strain. You know the weakness of, of our flesh. Lord Jesus, we just ask for help and encouragement this morning. And throughout camp, we look to you now as, as we think about you, as we think about some aspects of your life, That you would help to engage our hearts. That you would help to to allow us to see little glimpses of yourself that would draw our affections. Lord Jesus, that that you might be magnified. That we would be um, in awe of you, of your person, of your life. We just ask for your help. For each one, we ask for attentiveness. We ask for help in the right words. We look to you, Lord Jesus, for your blessing. And we ask in your name. Amen. How many people here are in their 30s? People in their 30s? Okay. I'm, um, I'm well past, well, not well past. I've just passed my 30s. This year I turned 40. Um, I'm an old man. Um, but I remember growing up, um, I, I had desires for what I wanted to have achieved when I was around 30. Yeah, I don't know if you younger guys who haven't approached that age yet, um, have you thought about what you want to do, where you want to be at when you turn 30? Um, you know, by that stage, you're sort of um, pretty much established in a career path. You know, you've, you've already done your, your studies, perhaps, at uni. Um, you sort of know what you want to do. Um, and you may be starting to work. You will have already started work. Got a bit of money in your pocket. Um, got your health. Got your youth. Um, you want to be going places. You want to be achieving things. You know, lots of people have aspirations for their life. I remember going out with some friends. I was in my 20s. And one of these uh, young men was studying law. And he was already working in a practice. His aim was to be a millionaire by the age of 30. That was his aim. He said, by the age of 30, I want to be a millionaire. And I just want to ask you what your aspirations are. I lost contact with that person. I don't know whether they achieved their goal or not. I want to ask you what your aspirations are. Um, What are your interests? What do you want to do with your life? People want to make a name for themselves. People want to establish themselves. 
People want to do well. But I'm going to tell you that when the Lord Jesus turned 30, um, he had a very different attitude to the friend I just described. A very different attitude. When he turned 30, he appeared on the scene when John the Baptist was baptizing. And there were people who were sinners, who were repentant, and were coming to John to be baptized. And do you know what he did? He went there, he walked, and he joined them. Did he need to repent? I ask you, did the Lord Jesus need to repent? No. No. But he joined with those people who were repentant. The Lord Jesus, his desire, his motivation, his interests were to do the will of his God and Father. And I'm going to focus this morning on a verse from Acts and I want to focus on the word good. The Lord Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. He went about doing good. And I want to ask you, what's good? What is good? What does the world view as good these days? Maybe uh, charity work? That's viewed as good. Giving to the poor? Um, You know, these, these days the world speaks about tolerance and equality. That's a good cause. Not being intolerant of anyone, allowing anything. And people view that as good. But you know there are those who call good evil. And evil good. And the scripture says that's an abomination to God. I had a colleague, and I might have said this before, but Um, He was actually a colleague of mine in two companies, at Holden and where I am now. He's a Zoroastrian. I don't know if you've heard of that religion before. He is a Zoroastrian. And um, they believe that there's a good God and a bad God. But they have three governing... um, They have a motto with three governing principles for themselves. They want to be good for the sake of being good. That is their ultimate desire. Good for the sake of being good. And they say three things. Good words. Good thoughts. Good deeds. Now in my time with this colleague, um, I don't swear, but I didn't hear him swear either. He had good words. Um, I didn't really associate with him outside of work, but I'm sure he tried his best to do good deeds. I can't see or hear anyone's thoughts. So who can judge that for God? But his motto was good words, good deeds, good thoughts. And you know, today, if you go out onto the street and you ask anyone, are you a good person? Do you know what their response will be? In general, the response will be yes. 
Now, why? Why do men do these things? Why do people give to charity? Why do people take care of the poor? Why do people um, look after the needy? I want you to just think with me for a moment about the motivation. What's in the heart? What's driving it? Is it to feel good about myself? Maybe. Some people want to feel like they're doing something. Some people want to feel like they're living for a cause. They don't have other causes to live for. And so they want to be characterized by something. I'm a philanthropist. I give a lot of my money to the poor. I've set up orphanages. I feed the hungry. Maybe it's to gain the praise of men. Or maybe it's to gain the praise of God. I don't know what the motivations of each one is. But around the world, if you ask people, can you name some good people for me? I'm sure they're going to name people who are doing these kind of things. Doing works of charity. Doing good deeds. Whatever they might be. But you know what ultimately it says? Well, I'll just ask. Somebody who gives a lot of money to the poor. LeBron James, for example, he does a lot of charity work. Um, do you think he does it for the glory of God? I want to ask, would you think that that is his driving motivation? Is it for the glory of God? I'd say no. It's not for the glory of God. So it must be for some other motivation. I don't know what it is, and I'm not judging his motivation. But it must be for something else. If it's not for the glory of God, it must be for something else. And you know, ultimately, what all of these good deeds say is that I am okay. I am okay on my own, in my own strength, to do with my hands what I can. I am okay. I don't need God. I was chatting with a colleague at work just um, on Tuesday. And we were talking about the death of the Queen. And I brought up the fact of her faith in the Lord Jesus. And he said to me, I don't think you need religion to be a good person. That's man's view. That's man's view. You don't need God to be a good person. What does the Bible say? I'm sure you know the verses. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3 very quickly. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. According as it is written, there is not a righteous man, not even one. There is not the man that understands there is not one that seeks after God. All have gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is not one that practices goodness. There is not so much as one. There is not one 
who practices goodness, there is not so much as one. But I mentioned before a man that when he turned 30, he went about doing good. There was one who went about doing good. So either there's a contradiction in the verses there, or this passage in Romans does not apply to this one man. And I'm going to tell you that's the case. The passage in Romans does not apply to only one man. The man Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus who came down to this earth and lived his life for the glory of his God and Father. Do you know um, we sung uh, in that song, The Servant King. This is our God, The Servant King. There's a verse that says, There in the garden of tears, my heavy load he chose to bear. His, head with, his heart with sorrow was torn. Yet not my will, but yours, he said. You know, at the start of creation, there was a man in a garden. And basically, in not so many words, but he said, Not your will, but mine be done. And he took of the fruit and he ate. But there was that man in the garden. There was that man who said, Not my will, but yours be done. That's our blessed Lord Jesus. He was the only one to please God. And I want to I make that clear to you. He was the only one to please God here as a man on earth. No one else has ever pleased God. There is no one like him. He is unique among men. He's not like any other man, tainted with sin. A son of Adam, fallen by nature. That was not him. He is unique. He is perfect. You know, when we look at his life, we don't get much of a record before his baptism. But we do know this. That when he was baptized, God declared from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That from the point of his birth, right up until the point of his baptism, until that point, God was, had pleasure in his life. He had pleased God. And I want to show you that from, from birth. God was his God. And there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 22. You don't have to turn to it. I'm sure you'll know it once I quote it to you. And it says this. But thou art he who took me from the womb. Thou didst make me trust upon my mother's breasts. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Who is there like that? Who of us, what man can say that from birth, from the womb, that God was his God? Thou art my God 
from my mother's belly. That this man, from the beginning of his life on earth, was perfect. God was his God. Do you know when, when Noah released the dove from the ark to find if there was any land? The dove came back to him and the, the verse in Genesis 8 said that the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. There was no place for the sole of her foot to rest. And you know, we don't ever read of the dove finding that resting place. Not until the day of the Lord Jesus' baptism. When the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and abode upon him. It wasn't until he came onto the scene publicly in ministry that the dove finally found a place to abide, to rest her foot upon him, upon that perfect man. I just want to look a little bit um, at this beautiful man, this perfect man. The one who from birth and through all of his life did the will of his God and Father. And I want to just look at what characterized him in his ministry on earth. And then I want to look at two instances from the Gospels. And I'm only going to take a little time to look at those. Because there are so many. And then I want to bring some practical application to our lives. As taking example from his. So first, what characterized his life as a man here on earth. I want to read from two Old Testament passages first. I love these passages. Psalm 40. I'm going to read from verse 6. It says, Sacrifice and oblation thou didst not desire, Ears hast thou prepared me. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not demanded. Then said I, Behold, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy good pleasure, my God, is my delight, and thy law is within my heart. I have published righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I have not withheld my lips. Jehovah, thou knowest, I have not hidden thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Let's read the other passage before I comment. Isaiah chapter 50. I'm going to read from verse 4. It says this. 
The Lord Jehovah hath given me the tongue of the instructed, that I should know how to succour by a word him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the instructed. The Lord Jehovah hath opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not away back. I gave my back to smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. But the Lord Jehovah will help me. Therefore I will not be confounded. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. You know when the Apostle Paul quotes from Psalm 40. Instead of saying ears thou hast prepared for me. He says a body you have prepared for me. In Psalm 40 it's ears. And I just want to bring this picture before you. A body characterized by ears. The Lord Jesus was characterized by open ears. Morning by morning, he wakeneth my ears to hear as the instructed. Do you know every morning of the life of the Lord Jesus, every morning he was woken by his ears, listening to the instruction of his God and Father. And then he went about through that day accomplishing the will of his God and Father. Ears hast thou prepared me. What a man. God manifest in flesh. To be so subject, to be so ready to be instructed by his God and Father. You know, this morning we had our prayer time together. And we committed our time, our day, to the Lord. But before that, I had gotten out of bed. I had gone to the kitchen. I was talking with Susan and Gamil. Um, just chatting. And then we came and, and had prayer time together. I want to tell you that that's not how the Lord Jesus was. When he woke up, he woke up to hear. To hear what his God and Father wanted him to do that day. Not to seek his own pleasure. Not to do what felt comfortable or good to him. But to hear as the instructed. And he was not rebellious. You know in those verses in Isaiah 50 he says, I was not rebellious. When you told me to do something, I did it. I did, not withheld, I did not withhold my lips from proclaiming your goodness, your loving kindness in the great congregation. Everything that the Father had instructed him to do, he did. And he did it perfectly. No failure. Not a step wrong. 
And I'm going to tell you that that's what good is. Good is obedience and subjection to God. There is nothing that is good apart from God. Nothing. Doesn't matter what men think about it. Doesn't matter if it seems right. There is nothing good apart from God. When that young man came to the Lord Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord Jesus says, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Now that young man hadn't realized who the Lord Jesus was. But there is no good apart from God. Good cannot be done when one is not in subjection to God. If anyone is not in subjection to God, he cannot do anything good. Nothing. Nothing. Do you know, we need to repent not only from our bad works, but from our good works. We need to repent from the good things that we've done when we were not in subjection to God. Because anyone not under his subjection cannot do anything good. That's where I turn to my verse from Acts. You know, if you wanted to summarize the life of the Lord Jesus, his ministry in a verse, what verse would you pick? Well, Peter didn't know probably that he was quoting a verse at this time, but this is the verse that he picked. And um, it's not a bad verse to pick. I'm sure there are a, a number of verses that could summarize the life of the Lord Jesus. But here's one. Acts 10, 38. Jesus, who was of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went through all quarters doing good and healing all that were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. The Lord Jesus, his life was characterized by doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Now, doing good, um, we know that in his public ministry he did many miracles. I think there are 37 miracles recorded in the Gospels. But some of those miracles are when multitudes came to him and he had power and he healed them all. Or some of them in the, in the start of Mark's Gospel, everyone from the whole town came to him and all night, late into the night, he was healing and casting out demons. And then he got up the next morning, woken by his ear, and started again. But 37 recorded miracles in the Gospels. You know, the verse um, in my translation, it says he went through all quarters doing good. In other translations, it says he went about doing good. And I just want to make a distinction here. Um, that the Lord Jesus in his life, he lived his life with purpose, with direction. 
It's not like when God asked Satan, where were you? And Satan said, I was going to and fro through the earth, you know, here and there, just wandering around through the earth. No, and, and I don't want you to get that idea of he went about as in, where, you know, just wherever he was found that day, um, just randomly, casually, that's what he was just doing good, doing his best with where he was found. No, he went through all quarters with purpose doing good. He once sailed across the lake to visit one man. He once walked into Samaria to visit one woman. He told his disciples, we need to move from this city because I need to go to other towns and preach the glad tidings. He moved with purpose. He went through all quarters with purpose, again listening to the instruction of his father, doing good. The end of the verse says that God was with him. Now I'm sure you all know this. This is the fundamental truth of the person of the Lord Jesus. He is God. God manifest in the flesh. But remember I told you that the Holy Spirit abode on him. So here is the Son of God manifest in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit abiding upon him. And do you remember once in John, he could say this, I am not alone, for the Father is always with me. And I'm going to tell you that in the life of the Lord Jesus, the heart, the affections, the love of the triune God was displayed to man on earth. He declared the heart of the Father, the love of the Father. He could say to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, God is the spring and source of all that is good. I've told you there is nothing good apart from him. And I'm going to tell you that even what we know as good has its source from him. And maybe that's something we can look at when we do our discussion groups today, just to see if, if this principle holds true. I want you to think of anything that is, is good. Anything that you would consider as good. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's um, you know, identifying a need and stepping in to help in that need. Or some danger and, and coming in and plucking someone from danger. Whatever it might be. And then I want you to think, Where did that originate from? Who was the first to give? Who was the first to see a need and fulfill it? Who was the first to provide um, security or salvation or help to somebody who was in need? Who was the first that, that didn't discriminate, truly didn't discriminate? Do you know, um, one day, the Lord himself came to visit Abraham with two angels in Genesis 18. And they came and they ate together. And then the Lord couldn't hide from Abraham what he was doing. Because the Lord had seen or heard the outcry of Sodom. And he was planning to destroy Sodom. 
And so Abraham is pleading with the Lord for Sodom because Lot, Abraham's nephew, is in that city. And so Abraham says to the Lord, he says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? But you know the Lord, the Lord will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. The Lord is just and far be it from him to destroy the righteous with the wicked. He makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. He will not destroy the righteous with the wicked, even if it's one. Even if it's one. He will save that righteous one. In, in the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel writes about three uh, just men, if they were in Jerusalem praying for the salvation of Jerusalem, who were they? They were um, Daniel, they were Job, and there was Noah. Three righteous men. Do you know what uh, the prophet says about them? Who they would save? If they were to pray for the Salvation of Jerusalem. And now this is when Jerusalem had completely turned away from God and they were serving idols. They were serving the Queen of Heaven. They'd written up uh, or they'd drawn animals on the temple walls and they were worshipping them. Do you know who Ezekiel says they would save? They would save but their own soul. And I want to tell you that God wouldn't destroy those righteous men with that city. That he would differentiate He's not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. But, listen to this, when it comes to his goodness, when it comes to his goodness, he makes his sun to shine on the righteous and on the wicked. He gives his rain to the just and to the unjust. He gives life and breath to all men. When it comes to his goodness, it's poured out upon all. He is not discriminating. The first one not to discriminate. The first one to give every opportunity is God. The one who gives all life and breath and every good thing. Goodness springs only from Him. Only from Him. So maybe you can prove that and think of some of these things and think where was the first example Of this actually happening. Of something being given. Of someone being helped. And the Lord Jesus was like this in his earthly ministry. Undiscriminating. He helped everyone. He dealt with all. He dealt with men. He dealt with women. He dealt with little children. He said... Suffer the little children to come unto me. Suffer means let, allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. He dealt with young people, the rich young ruler that approached him. He dealt with old people, widows. The man who was there lying couldn't move for 38 years. The Lord went and dealt with him. He dealt with rich people. He dealt with poor people. You know, he was one that cared for those who...
who none cared about. The Lord Jesus cared for the poor. And I mean even the, the materially poor. In Matthew's Gospel, when he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Luke's Gospel, he doesn't say that. He just says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just the poor. He cared about those who were poor. He cared about the outcast. He cared about the despised. He cared about the hated. He cared about the one that nobody else would associate with. If he knew who this woman was, he would not allow her to touch him. That was the thoughts of others. It wasn't his thoughts. Because he cared about them. He didn't discriminate. He didn't allow men's opinions. He didn't allow man's religion. He didn't allow opposition or hatred to sway him in any way from doing what was right and from doing what was good. Learn from that, young people. Don't allow others' opinions or religion or opposition. Don't allow people hating you and despising you and not wanting to be your friend. Don't allow that to change your pathway. Don't allow that to move you away from doing what's right. I don't, I don't want to talk about those practical things now. I still want to talk about him. He stood for the truth and for what was right without compromise. He could call the ruler of the synagogue. He could say to him in his face, Hypocrite! And we're going to read that passage. He did not compromise what was right and what was good. People think that doing what is good is making sure that others are happy. Making sure everyone's happy. No, not everyone's going to be happy. But doing what's right, doing what's good, is what's good in the eyes of God. It's what's right in the sight of God. I want to look at two quick incidents. Oh boy, I'm running out of time. Okay, I'm look at two quick incidents um, in Luke's Gospel. So first, we're going to look at one man and one woman. And I'm going to read them both together. And then I'll make just brief comment. Um, Luke chapter 6. Verse 6. It came to pass on another Sabbath also that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man there and his right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching if he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find something of which to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, get up and stand in the midst. And having risen up, he stood there. Jesus therefore said to them, I will ask you if it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. And having looked around on all of them, he said to him, stretch out thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as the other. But they were filled with madness 
and they spoke together among themselves what they should do to Jesus. Chapter 13 of Luke's Gospel. So there was a man. This is a story about a woman. Verse 10 of chapter 13. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And lo, there was a woman having a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And she was bent together and wholly unable to lift her head up. And Jesus, seeing her, called to her and said to her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands upon her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, answering, said to the crowd, There are six days in which people ought to work. In these therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord therefore answered and said, Hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the manger and lead it away and water it? And this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these eighteen years, ought she not to be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all who were opposed to him were ashamed. And all the crowd rejoiced at all the glorious things which were done by him. This poor man was in a synagogue. In a place of um, religion. But with a withered hand. Unable to do anything. His religion couldn't help him. Try as he might, his hand was withered. And there was no help for him in the synagogue. Not until the Lord Jesus came in. And the Sabbath day, both of these incidents happened on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was made for man. For man's good. For man's rest. But here was a man, and here was a woman, who one couldn't do anything. The other one bent over. All she could see was the ground. She couldn't lift her head to heaven. You know, without the intervention of the Lord, man has no ability to do anything for the glory of God. And man has no ability but to look down at what is earthly, bent down, crushed by Satan, bound by Satan just to look down, just to look at what's earthly, just to look at what's down here, to not know the God who made them, to not recognize the one who is their Lord, their God. The one to whom they should be subject. And man's religion could not help these two. But the Lord Jesus could. The Lord Jesus could. The Lord Jesus could unbind. He could heal that man's hand on the Sabbath. Restored whole as the other. He could unbind, unloose or loose Satan's bonds on this poor woman. 
who was bent over for 18 years. Okay. For time's sake, I'm just going to go to application to us. Good works. Do we have to do them? Didn't we say that no one can do good? There's not one that does good. Not even one. Isaiah says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now of course with the Lord he could do good works. He could do good works because he was not tainted by sin. He was good because he was God and he pleased God. So he did good works in his life. But for us, I'm going to tell you the good works start from his death. For each one of us. It's the death of the Lord Jesus that is the beginning of our doing anything to please God. It's his death. You know, when Peter preached to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, that verse that we read from, he didn't just stop there when he said that Jesus was of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went through all quarters doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. He didn't just stop there. He went on to speak to Cornelius about the death of the Lord Jesus and about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Cornelius needed to know about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we need to know about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Nothing can be good except that which proceeds from the finished work of Christ for us. We cannot do anything that is good except that which proceeds from the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Man can do everything he can. He can expend every effort and do anything that his imagination can come to. But if he know not Christ... If he is not in subjection to God, he can do nothing good. Without the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that's the basis of our doing anything good. We cannot be saved by good works. Our good works will never, ever save us. Now, for those of us who are saved, those of us who trust the Lord Jesus... We can't neglect to do good. We can't neglect to do good. Scripture requires those who have been saved by grace to do good works. In fact, it's a proof of salvation. There's a whole book devoted to it. James, he writes his epistle. If you're saved, prove it. Show me. Show me. Good works. Good works should 
follow our believing in the Lord Jesus. If I've truly put my trust in the Lord Jesus, good works are an outcome of that faith. True faith works out in practical things. When Noah had faith, he took up a hammer and he put nails into timber and built an ark. He did something. And it's the same with us. Those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus. We need to pick up a hammer now. We need to do what's right in the eyes of God. The first step of doing what's right is repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that point on, to be characterized by good works. We need to do good works as Christians. It's the proof of our conversion, of our salvation. And the scripture encourages us, exhorts us, and tells us that we ought to do these things. I'm just going to give you some references. Um, You know, we as Christians need to be characterized by action. You hear that, young people? Do. Do something. Don't sit around. Find something to do. Do something for the Lord. It's not going to be a lightning bolt that tells you how to serve the Lord. You're not just going to be sitting one day and things are all of a sudden going to change and you'll get up from that meeting and start serving the Lord. You need a desire to do. You need to wake up in the morning with open ears like our Lord and say, what would you have me to do? Now, 2 Timothy Two, we are to be prepared for every good work. Prepared for every good work. Second Timothy 3, I'm not going to give you the verses, you can find them. Second Timothy 3, there is something that makes the man of God to be complete, fully fitted for every good work. Titus 3. He's reminding Titus and he says this. um, Put them in mind to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to rule, to be ready to do every good work. In Hebrews 13, it says, but of doing good and communicating of your substance, that means giving. Do not be forgetful, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. In Hebrews 13, again, it says, may... He perfect you in every good work to the doing of His will. We read a verse the other night in Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look, doing good is not doing well. It's not successful. It's not about being successful. Doing good is not about succeeding. Look at the life of the Lord Jesus. Twelve men who followed him and some women. At the end of his life, 120 in a room. After he fed 5,000 men, 
but 120 in the room. His doing good was not characterized by success. Doing good is not doing well. It's doing what's right in the eyes of God. Doing good is not majority opinion. Doing good is not what people think is right. You know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the path of death. Doing good is not to gain or to maintain God's favour. We're not doing good in order to gain his favour to start with. We've heard about that. We're not doing good to maintain his favour. If you love me, if you love me, then you're going to obey my commandments and my words, the Lord Jesus said. If you love me. It's not because we're trying to gain God's favour, it's to do good. Doing good is obedience. Repentance towards God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a life characterised by actions. Living like the Lord Jesus, not thinking about myself, what my aspirations are as a 30-year-old, as a young, healthy man wanting to make my way through this world. No. Obedience to God. Caring for others. Not caring for myself. It's responsibility. Doing good is a responsibility upon each one of us. I mean, there's a parable in Luke 17. The Lord says about a bondman who comes in from the field. Um, And at the end of it, he says, firstly, he says, will he, will his master tell him, come and sit down and eat? No, first he's going to serve his master and do what he needs to do, and then he can eat. And then the Lord says at the end of that, he says, and you likewise, after you have done all things, say we are but unprofitable bondmen, and we have simply done our duty. It is our responsibility to do good. It's not so we get get a medal. It's our responsibility, our duty to do good. Find something to do. Now there's two examples we saw. The man and that woman. Do good to someone. I'm sure you've got friends that you can help. And for us believers, we can help one another. We can look after the household of faith. We're encouraged to do that. But also for spiritual needs. You know, the Lord Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. What's the healing all those who are oppressed of the devil? He cast out demons. That lady who was bent over, it was oppression from the devil. But for us, we've got something that can help with that spiritual oppression. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. We can give the gospel to lost souls. The Lord Jesus went through all quarters doing good. And healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. I pray that we can be encouraged to learn from his example. To live as he lived. To walk as he walked. Have our trust in the Lord Jesus. And then to do what's pleasing in his sight. Amen.